And we are back for another part train. This is your host, Evan Singer. Thank you for joining us for another part train. If you haven't listened to the part train before, we are all about making your life less frustrating than your golf game. We take lessons we learn in the game of golf. We apply them to, to life um, from CEOs to PGA Tour pros to golf media and best-selling authors. Um, we're all about trying to get you guys little tidbits to help you excel uh, and be happier in your life. Uh, today's episode uh, was with Golf.com's Alan Shipneck, uh, more, definitely more golf-centric than maybe some others. Uh, but before we get to my intro and our great conversation with Alan, um, after Match 2.0 with Tiger Phil, Tom, and Peyton, uh, I just want to talk about our sponsor, Roback. Heard of them? I know we talk about them a lot. But if you enter the code STAYHOME, you get 20% off at Roback.com. They just released a lot of new stuff, and I think more stuff is even coming. They're, they just told us. They gave us a little teaser. They wouldn't tell us what it was, but a lot of new stuff is coming. So um, make sure you go to Roback.com and enter the code STAYHOME for 20% off. FYI, 20% off is their Black Friday deal. You get it all year long as a part train listener. Um, I would say one thing we haven't talked about yet is the, uh, the female apparel. Roback is starting to roll out more um, gear for females out there. And so I know most of our audience is male. So if you want to get the girlfriend or a wife a little something for the summer, um, check out one of their. Uh, female polos at roback.com, quarter zips. And uh, I know I'm going to do that um, for my girlfriend. She's got a birthday coming up in June. So I think I'm going to surprise her um, with something. Hopefully she doesn't listen. I don't think she listens to this show. So uh, hopefully she won't find out. But um, it's always the most comfortable and flexy gear. And I I will tell you guys, no joke. Um, I've said this before, but in case you haven't heard this episode, I'll say it again. When we first started working with Roback and they sent us some gear to try out, I was like, well, of course I'll try it out. You know, it'd be great to partner with, with um, you know, a family-driven business like them and they, they're great people. But I kind of assumed that I would go back to, you know, Travis Matthew or Nike or whatever I would wear um, after I would wear it. Uh, but no joke, and it's not just because we work with them, genuinely because of the comfort and the quality uh, I'm actually wearing polo right now. Um, I don't wear anything else anymore. I have a full closet of Travis Matthews, Adidas, Nike, a couple, uh, a couple Pumas. Maybe I should like sell them to you guys because I literally, or give them away because I don't wear them. Uh, they're so comfortable and they don't restrict your swing at all. The collars are stiff and stay and they don't wear out with every wash where a lot of the Travis Matthews and Nikes, they get, you know, the quality goes down pretty quickly after like five to eight wash cycles. So check them out. Rollback.com. I don't know how to convince you guys anymore. I'm telling you it's the best gear out there and they're the best people. And a lot of it goes to charity. Rollback.com. Enter the code stay home for 20% off. Okay. So the match. We just finished. We literally, as soon as the match finished, uh, Alan Shipnick from golf.com, senior writer at golf.com, one of the best writers in the game. Um, we've been trying to get Alan on for years and it just never worked out. And luckily, 
we're able to do this as a little bit of a recap show after the match. And um, Alan had a lot of strong things to say, whether or not he liked match 2.0 better than match 1.0 um, with just Tiger and Phil. Um, he did answer yes, but I want you to listen to fig- find out why. Um, was it the addition of Peyton uh, and Tom? Was it um, the addition of people like JT? Uh, was it the lack of fans? There's a lot of different things we talked about um, that I think were really interesting. We also really went into um, Tiger. He actually wrote an article on golf.com. Go check it out. Um, about his biggest takeaway was actually the shape of Tiger's game. And so definitely listen to find that out and also go to golf.com to hear that. You can also find Alan at Alan Shipnick on Twitter. Um, he doesn't hold back ever on his opinions and historically sometimes can get into himself into trouble because of it, but that's why we love it. Um, and then at the end, we also cover, make sure you listen to the end because we talk about the PJ Tour season and what we can expect and what the PJ Tour could do with no fans and would someone that wins majors during this truncated season would that have an asterisk on it we talked through that as well as what we could expect from the masters with them being kind of one of the last tournaments um in the powerhouse they are it's gonna be really interesting to see what they do especially because i'm a ticket holder and i'm really interested this year because it'll be my first year going so really excited that we got alan on thank you to him for for coming on the show um, make sure you guys listen to the end. Feel free to follow us, comment, tag us, tell us what you think at the par train on Twitter and Instagram and give us a review and a five star on iTunes. We haven't asked for that in a while. So why not? You guys listen, you know, throw us that love on uh, the podcast app and wherever you listen. So I hope everyone is staying safe and well through these times. I know seeing live golf was an incredible feeling. And hopefully we can get more of it soon. Um, But this interview, I think, kind of carries on the excitement we had for the last four or five hours. And so definitely make sure you start your week um, with our conversation with Alan. And we're back with Golf.com's Mr. Alan Shipnick. Alan, I'm excited to have you on. Um, I've been reading and following your stuff for a while. I know we've talked in years past. Finally got this to work. Um, first of all, welcome to the show. We're jumping in straight after the match number two. So I'm excited to catch up on this. Yes, I'm still tingling. Uh, it was a surprisingly good show. I mean, obviously we're all starred for, for golf and for live sports and even grading on the curve. I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, the first batch, it, it was neither, you know, fish nor fowl. They couldn't decide, is this going to be golf or is it going to be entertainment? Right. And so it wound up sort of being neither, and that's why it didn't quite work. But this time, they obviously went for the yucks, and uh, there was a lot of genuinely funny moments. There was a lot of star power. There was a lot of trash yeah. talking. But there was also some great golf. And um, for, for all the things that were swirling around, the biggest takeaway for me is that Tiger Woods looks so pure. Uh, he didn't miss yeah. a fairway. He didn't miss a shot. And if you remember where, where he was when the season stopped in mid-March, I mean, he, wasn't, he was avoiding tournaments. His back and his game were, uh, were a mess. And all right. of a sudden, it makes the rest of this tour season very intriguing. So I, I enjoyed all the zaniness, but, but really, 
uh, the the takeaway for me is, is it was the Tigers fine play. Yeah, the question is, is it the classic comfort level that your home course gives you, right? Or is it is it more? Is it that it's more about his body? It's more about that he's you know ready. Hopefully, when the season returns and the major season rolls around, that you actually feel more confident by what you saw today versus what you said in March. Yeah, I mean, certainly there's a, a freewheeling factor. I mean, th- this was not the Masters. Uh, right. Yeah. It, it, as you said, it was his home course. So they're, they're playing in shorts with microphones and carts. I mean, this was not exactly PGA Tour right. golf, but the key was just how fluid uh, Tiger was swinging the club. I mean, he looked limber. He looked supple. He had a lot of speed. And, um, you know, I always watch Tiger's transition to the top when – when he's playing well, it's just so languid and effortless, and, and that's yep. what he had going. And so that makes me really excited because it says his swing is groove, but also means his, his body must be feeling pretty good. And I, that was even – I know it was, it was still warmish there, but, you know, that was in the rain, um, taking jackets off, off and on, but he never looked out of rhythm, and even with all the, the weirdness swirling around. So um, – I think uh, certainly, you know, Tiger got to pick the venue and he medalist is his home course. And as you said, there's no doubt there's a comfort factor there, but it was much bigger than that, I think. Yeah, I think what's funny about the rain is, you know, obviously the internet is a hilarious place and they're, you know, meme after meme giving Tom Brady a bunch of shit about his performance on the front nine. But if you... I'm sure you have because you're a golf nut like me. But if, if anyone has ever played golf in downpour, torrential rain, it doesn't matter if you're wearing rain gloves. Like just feeling like the club is stable in your hands is not – it's not there. And to be able to hit shots in that is really tough. And I thought that uh, that was a huge – like that was a testament to, to both of those guys, the amateurs um, yeah. and the quarterbacks, to be able to play in that. And for that matter, you know, Tiger and Phil didn't have their caddies who are usually in charge of keeping the clubs dry. So you could see totally. them a lot of toweling and yeah. it was a challenge for them as well. But yeah, it, watching Brady on the first seven holes, I was, you know, obviously the guy's won six Super Bowls. He's married to a supermodel. He looks like a movie star. Like Tom Brady has it, has it all. And that's why it was so delicious when he couldn't keep the ball on the planet and they were just wilding out on golf Twitter. And then, of course, he jars that wedge from whatever, 150 yards. And right. I, I shouted so loud, I, I scared my dog. And I think <laughs> that uh, that was probably a universal, you know, just that. There's nothing like sports, you know, that, that can just just zap you like that. Just the energy and the, the enthusiasm. And uh, that was really a great moment. And, of course, the Internet just melted. Uh, right. And then Brady played, I thought, pretty pretty well in the back nine. And. But even those first seven holes when he, went, when he was just uh, in pocket pretty much every time, I didn't think it was possible to feel empathy for Tom mm. Brady. But yeah. I actually did because, uh, you know, I'm about an eight handicap like he is. And there's been plenty of rounds where I'm hitting it sideways and I can't, I can't find it. And imagine doing that in front of the world, mic'd up, yeah. getting hazed by Charles Barkley and – uh, Brooks Kepka and JT Watt and the whole thing. <laughs> like I mean, Brady showed so much good cheer and determination. It was, uh, in some ways, he was the MVP of the whole thing. I mean, his struggles and then his triumphs. It was, it was just golf in a nutshell. 
It's actually one of the things I wrote down for, I was trying to think of what made this so much better in my opinion than the first. And that was something I think that was, is to have the athletes that are such at the pinnacle for us to be able to empathize and feel like, like I saw myself in Tom Brady today or Peyton Manning today. Um, and you would never be able to say that. Nothing would give you that sense like golf can. And to me, that's what made it so interesting was the dichotomy of the best in the game and bringing the best in another sport in. Um, so I'm just curious, do you think it's the addition of those two and the personalities of Peyton and, and Tom? Or do you think it's the lack of a Tiger versus Phil when you look back to match number one versus match number two that made this so different? Well, it, it's, it's both, really. I mean, yeah. Tiger and Phil, I think, learned from the first one that they took it a little too seriously and they got kind of tight and yeah. they got very quiet. And when there's only two or even four players on the golf course, there's a lot of downtime. If they're not going to talk, uh, it makes for a boring telecast. And yeah. even though there was a certain amount of tension, it's still only a TV exhibition. It's never going to have the same fizz of, of a of big time tournament. So uh, they made the wise choice in, in trying to do everything they could to make this fun and adding levity. And uh, certainly, you know, I thought Peyton Manning, he's just, he's just a really charming character and his, his sort of low key presence and his storytelling and his soft little draw, I think it was great. And um, Phil had just more material because Tiger, you know, he was of the four guys, he was by far the most quiet, you know, there's, yeah. there's, he's always going to have sort of a brooding, enigmatic presence that's just who he is in a competitive right. situation uh, and so this time phil had a lot more to riff on you know he's trying to you can see him working so hard to try and keep brady in the game and, and keep his spirits up and he was having fun going back and forth with peyton and a, a, a couple times um tiger was engaged you know that line about you know marking his ball with us open medal that was that was really totally. a few other little moments where tiger um, remembered oh yeah this is not golf this is entertainment but the other three guys really made it fun and carried the load and um, Tiger gave us some, some beautiful golf swings and that's really enough from him. So uh, I think that was the lesson is it has to be entertainment and yeah. you know, they should do this again next week and bring in sub out the quarterbacks, bring in, you know, Michael Jordan and Steph Curry. And uh, I think there's a winning formula there. Tiger, Tiger and Phil have the golf and the star power. You have to bring in some fun characters and then, Maybe the next time it's, I don't know, Sam, Samuel Jackson and Larry David, whatever it is, you know, you bring yeah. in these characters that the real players can riff off of. Right. Like you said, that, that the, the fans can identify with, uh, but we're still treated to some really high level golf by, by Tiger and Phil. And so um, they, I, I, think they, I think they cracked the, the code this time around. Yeah, that was actually something I tweeted. I said, the only thing that can make this better would be um, a Michael Jordan live feed with him watching on an iPad giving live takes on what is happening. Like seeing Michael Jordan in yeah. that scenario with how he talks trash would just be the pinnacle, especially with his relationship with Tiger. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I, That I would think, be incredible. I think it's got to happen. I mean, certainly no one would mind if they brought back uh, Brady and Manning, but yeah. there's a lot of other, um, a lot of other duos you, you, could, you could swap in. So, uh, you know, this, this, was, this was big. This probably single-handedly saved the whole concept of a made for TV exhibition because, you know, Taylor, the Taylor made thingy at, at Seminole was fine. It gave us something to watch, but you know, Matt Wolf 
and Dustin and, and Ricky, they're pretty boring personalities. And Rory, yeah. for whatever reason, was kind of flat. And that golf course was too subtle to really show on TV. And it just it just didn't quite come off, you know. Um, this time, um, if, if this if the match two had been a turkey, I think we would have not seen made for TV golf maybe for the rest of our lifetimes. But right. um, this one delivered a lot of entertainment. Certainly, it was for a great cause. I mean, they raised $20 million for COVID relief, which is totally that. Uh, but I, I think it saved the whole genre, really. So, Alan, I want to see if this is just because I'm a huge golf nerd or if this is something that, well, you're probably as equal as much as a golf nerd as me. But I felt that one of the most fascinating things about today was the, golf, the green reading and hearing the intricacies from Phil and him helping Tom. And I think we've heard this over the years. It's, it's been feedback that we've heard for years of let the commentators stop talking. And if a caddy and player is talking, let that be the hero, right? Obviously, there are no caddies today. But it was really interesting to hear how they think through a shot and hear how Phil is pointing out dark spots in the green to showcase in the grain versus, you know, with the grain. And I'm curious if that really grabbed you too or if that was just me. No, that was great fun. And, you know, the PJ Tour is heading into some, some rough waters here with um, you got to figure a lot of companies are going to be hurting you yeah. know, this, this recession. They're going to lose out on, you know, the, the Wednesday Pro-Am was a huge moneymaker, um, restricting fans, all, all the beer sales. Like, they're, they're gonna, the Tour is going to have to try a lot harder to sell its product. And one thing we've all been clamoring for is to mic up the players during competition. Yeah because it adds so much to the telecast and i thought this this week versus seminal the the guys in the broadcast booth did a much better job of just staying silent so we could hear it and and you're right it added so much to the telecast uh, uh you know i mean you're right there were no caddies but justin thomas a couple times just teed it up perfectly and you know that that pitch shot that, that phil played i think on the second hole where he, he talked it through in, in great detail yeah knocked it stone dead i mean that was one of the best moments of the whole day and for sure um as you said the intricate you know when he when he says braid to brady just get here to the crest and then it's downhill downwind and down grain and it'll trickle all the way to the hole you know uh, i think golfers sometimes think about one of those factors or maybe two but not all three and so right um it was definitely um, it was it was fun to to eavesdrop and if you could get into a real tour event where you you had a player with his caddy and they could talk at at a very high level um, about these things that that would be spectacular so um, you know I think I think this was an important kind of template for what what televised golf could be it could be a little more fun could be a little more intimate uh, and 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 hopefully CBS and the other broadcast partners paying attention because there's no doubt the, the television product of the PGA Tour needs to improve. And uh, I think Mikey players is, is the obvious first step. So we've had uh, various PGA Tour pros on over the years. Um, and we've had a couple caddies as well. And we've asked them about mic'd up caddies. And usually yeah. the feedback is obviously you guys, there's no way we could be caught, you know, on air talking about the things that we talk about. Right. But if you think about it, though, NFL players are killing each other out there and they're mic'd up, right? You know you're mic'd up. And so what is stopping 
the tour and your experience covering golf from providing a more approachable and fun TV product? Well, there's, a, I mean, there's a lot of things. Um, you know, it's a logistical challenge. It, it, the events take place across 150 acres. Yep. And, you know, NFL fields all right there in front of you. So there's a yep. lot of moving parts. Uh, it's this traveling circus from from town town to town, and often from one broadcast network to the next. Um, there, there's certain. That's why we have the dreaded you know coverage gap. There's there's certain things right. that uh, that are, are structural challenges, but they need to be solved. And you know, part of the problem is is generational, right? I mean, the guys running golf and running the running the networks and the, in the truck, they're in their sixties, and um, maybe in their fifties if we're lucky, but they've been doing things a certain way for a very long time. And, uh, you know, falling asleep on the couch to the dulcet tones of Ken Venturi, you know, that's how they, they grew up. Right. And, right. Um, and they've been very slow to react to what, how the marketplace has changed, how the consumers have changed, how the culture has changed. And, uh, so, I mean, it's just golf is always late to everything, right? I mean, it's always five or 10 years behind and in everything when it comes to, to media and uh, any societal issue. And so, uh, you know, whereas the NBA is run by young, hip people and, and the way the league is covered and presented reflects that. Um, golf just isn't. But I, I think there's there's been a – it was always kind of a low – uh, murmur of discontent, which has turned into much more of a roar. And I mean, you see it at CBS where they're retiring Lance Barrow and, you know, Peter Costas and Gary McCord and um, Johnny Miller was great, but maybe it was time for some fresh thinking there. And, you know, the, the old guard is starting to disappear. And uh, so I, I guess the networks are, are belatedly realizing that, yeah, we need to freshen things up. And, uh, uh, this the, the, the sort of the freewheeling feeling of, of this telecast uh, is a good template. Yeah, I know it makes you wonder. Obviously, you know this is different with one group, so you don't need the type of amount of cameras. And we've had Dottie Pepper on, who helped us break down the business side of golf, which was really eye opening. But I do think that there's maybe if you take a parallel between this event or blend between this event and maybe a champions tour event right champions tour you hear all the time that people are talking as they go down the fairway and they've had interviews as they're walking down um maybe a select number of groups that have mics maybe put it on the caddy or you come by with interviewees or interviewers i don't know i feel like there's got to be a balance between having a more laid-back approachable feeling to your point, but also not infringing on their focus and the fact that they're competing, right? It, it's an interesting balance because yeah. NFL Network, um, you know, I, where I used to work, they, it's all after the fact, right? The editors are able to NFL films, they trust NFL films. They right. trust that they're not going to make them look bad. So it's interesting to think about the balance of live versus tape and edit, right? Which you don't always have in golf. Yeah, it's true. Um, and no doubt, I mean, there's plenty of golfers who run hot and there would, there would have to be some understanding um, <laughs> that this is just part of the risk. But, right. you know, I think like when I go out and play with my friends and I'm, 
you know, I'm dropping F-bombs like everybody else. The few times that I've been, I've been mic'd up for things we've been doing for golf.com, whatever, you, you're, you know, you know it. it. <laughs> and you can censor yourself to a point, but you're still going to be you. Right. And you're still going to have the conversations. And I think it's, it's honestly a small price to pay. I mean, um, it, it's other sports happen at, at warp speed. You know, there's, there's a lot less talk and a lot more action. You know, golf, it's, it's the deliberation and, and the internal yeah. monologue is so interesting. It's just different. And, you know, to your point about doing, doing interviews during the competition, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't do that in the middle of an NBA run, but um, these guys are walking a thousand feet to their drive. I mean, they have, it's almost a quarter mile. There's plenty of time for chit chat from T, you know, from the T to the fairway. Um, and you can ask a couple of insightful things and get out of the way. So, um, you know, it, it, it's, it really just comes down to the players haven't wanted to to give anything. They're kind of happy with how it is. The purse, the purse starts shrinking out on tour and the tournaments start evaporating. Uh, I I think the the players will come in with a different attitude and really the economic reality. I mean, the sport is going to be challenged and, uh, so if you enjoy this, this nice livelihood, uh, you might have to give a little bit more as a, as a player and perhaps as a caddy. And I don't think it's asking that much to be honest. Yeah. I mean, you knew, you saw Tom Brady today. He, he pulled his best Matt Kuchar impersonation by saying, gosh, darn it, at least six times. Right. So he knew he was mic'd up. It, it can work. Yeah. I mean, it's true that if you're following the last few groups on Sunday afternoon, the conversations are going to are going to be live. Um, it's unavoidable. But a lot of times you you can come back to it. You know, there's yeah. there's some uh, some great conversation on the eighth fairway. Uh, you know, you can while it's playing out, you, you can go to number nine and, and show that while someone listens in, and if they have to edit it or condense it or whatever it may be. You know, I, you, you, there are plenty of times when it, it can even though it's taped live, it can be presented a few minutes later. And there's that little cushion where uh, it can be screened and the players can be protected. So this is all totally surmountable if there's the will to do it. Totally. So we talked about the gosh darn it, the mic'd up. What was your favorite quote that you heard today? What do you think was the funniest quote? Does anything stick out? Um, well, probably, you know, when, when Brady jarred that one, he's like, suck it, Charles. Like, yeah. That, yeah. That was talking to Charles Barkley. That was pretty classic. And that was yeah. raw. You know, that, that was in that moment, no censor. That was it. That's what he wanted to yeah. say. And he said it. And who cares yeah. if he gets offended, right? Yeah. Um, we, we touched on, you know, um, Tiger hazing Phil about the U.S. Open. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Uh, you know, also that, that, that conversation of uh, – of, of, of Phil, not only did he talk through the shot, but then, then after he pulled it off, what did he say? Like, that was, that was very attractive, you know, that. Oh, it gets him going. Little, yeah, it gets me going. He sounded a little aroused. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was pretty funny and a little, um, told you a little about Phil. So there was a bunch. I should have been jotting them down. I really wasn't. But um, there was a lot of little smiles and guffaws. I mean, you know, Peyton Manning's just a very naturally funny guy. So is yeah. Phil Mickelson, and uh, and Brady had his moments, and Tiger had a few. So uh, it was there, was there was a lot of good banter, I thought. So you mentioned JT earlier. Uh, future as a top golf commentator in your mind? Yeah, who knew? I mean, I always think of Justin Thomas as a very pleasant, somewhat bland personality. Um, 
but I thought he really he really delivered. You know, he he was insightful and um, he, he's a member at Medalist, so he he knew a lot of the nuances of the course. He brought yeah. those out at, at key moments. Certainly, he's very friendly with Tiger. You know, who is his partner at the Presidents Cup and then right. he matches at Medalist. So, you know, him calling him Eldrick and T Dub. I mean. That would be grading over an entire season, but for for this scenario, it was pretty funny, and um, he definitely. It, I think more than anything, he, it was just the the comfort level and the confidence he exuded was impressive, and and kind of the ease that he he just moved through the whole thing because it was, I mean, it was chaos out there with um, the weather and guys' earpieces weren't working. Yeah. Um, Trying to trying to pull this off with a skeleton crew, uh, people calling into the studio, and and JT just rolled with it all. So I thought he did a great job, and uh, you know he's got another ten or fifteen years of of being one of the best players in the world. So I, right. whether he's going to want to be an announcer after that, who knows? But he certainly he definitely showed a lot of promise. I'll say that for sure. Yeah, for me, I I never thought JT was that likable personally, but I think as time goes on, he's actually becoming. Um, more likable um, for me as well. So that, that was awesome to see. Um, quick, quick shifting gears here from today to the rest of the season. Um, you know, obviously June 11th, Charles Schwab challenge, it's supposed to return. Um, Adam Scott said he's not, he's waiting till July. I, wanna, I wanted to hear your thoughts. What do you think is the worst case scenario for the PGA Tour? Is it multiple pros getting sick and the thought of them coming back too soon? Like what, what are these, what's best case scenario? What's worst case scenario? Yeah, certainly the worst case scenario is that, you know, you get to Hilton head, the second tournament on, on the, the revamped schedule and seven players test positive and then they probably have to shut the whole thing down. I mean, that's right. clearly the worst case. Um, yeah. You know, I was really dubious a few weeks ago that they were going to be able to even get back up and running at Colonial, but it does seem like I, I don't know if anything's really changed in no, in, yeah, in our approach. Certainly, the science hasn't, but just the collective acceptance of and or apathy of, of society as a whole, where everyone's just kind of over it and like, all right, fine, we've we've, we've done this, we don't want to do it anymore, so let's just move on. It may not be the smartest way to approach this virus, but it just seems to be what um, what the majority of Americans, how they want to deal with it. And so that obviously comes with risk. And whenever the tournaments and the games and, and life resumes, there's going to be an element of risk. And we just have to ask ourselves individually and collectively, how much do we want to take on? And uh, so I think the tour and the players you know, you can't create a perfect bubble. Nothing's ever going to be hundred percent. They've got the protocols. Uh, they're going to do the best they can. And by showing up at the tournaments, the players are acknowledging that there's some risk involved. And just like any of the reporters who go cover it and a week five, when the fans come back, I mean, I think we're all just gonna do the best we can. And if things really spike and get out of control, then we'll have to step back and reassess. But, yep. um, you know, I coach high school basketball and we're looking ahead in November already. And uh, it's like, my players are dying to play. I'm dying to coach. The parents want to watch. And it's like, I think give us a waiver on the first day of practice and we'll all sign it and say, okay, we're gonna do the best we can. We know it's 
by doing this sport, it increases our chances of getting sick and we accept that. And that's just the, the, the choice we're all going to have to make. Now, there, there's times when you don't have that choice. It's made by a government agency or something else. And so that, you know, that, that's what's going to get tricky if, um, as the tour, you know, goes from state to state and jurisdiction to jurisdiction. I mean, uh, let's say everyone flies in, you know, from colonial to Detroit. And, and we know that in Michigan, that they've, they're taking a pretty vigilant stance to get it against yep. the virus. If on Monday or Tuesday of the tournament, all of a sudden a few players in caddies test positive, the tour, do they get to decide what to do? Or does the governor of Michigan say, shut it down, pull the plug, you know, right? Um, they're going to have, it's going to be very week to week. And the tours acknowledge that they're working with the local governmental agencies and, per, and politicians, but uh, it's, it's a movable feast and uh, it's just going to change from week to week. So, whereas, you know, you, st you start in Texas where it's much more permissive attitude, um, you know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. It's, I don't think anyone can really know how it's going to play out until we just get there. And even, all the ways the tour has has planned there's going to be a lot of adjusting from week to week and a lot of tweaks to um how things are done and that, that's just inevitable and i think we by by getting on the airplane we're all just kind of accepting that right is there anything in your mind that the pga tour wouldn't otherwise do when they have full galleries that they might try with no fans yeah that's interesting i mean you know, you would think that it would be a great time to, to do more intimate things with the players. They're, they're going to, it's just, you take away the clutter of the fans and that element. Um, but of course now we're to this new era where uh, intimacy is not necessarily <laughs> what you want. Right. But, you know, like at the driving range of tour event is it's slammed with people aging. Yeah and equipment reps and then grandstands of fans all that's going to be stripped away and so you know if you could go on the on on the t the t box of, of the driving range and talk to players about their swing and their routines and, and like you could do something that's really granular and cool all week long but um you know i think the tour wants to keep things simple and they want to um, right not ask anything more than the, of the players and just just getting these tournament rounds and so I, I i don't know if we're going to see any tweaks i don't think it's the right moment in time but um who knows i mean i, I think right uh, I, I think there's the space for it if people are willing but yeah whether or not they are that that's the big question it's just interesting right because i think major league baseball is using it i think they've wanted to try the things they're going to try for years and they're going to use this as a point to like pitch clock um the you know potentially no umpire behind the plate those types of things i'm just curious um i haven't thought about it before of what those things could be for golf that would maybe you know speed up the round or reduce um time out there but it's interesting it's, it's going to be interesting to watch especially the first one that's for sure um yeah it's a good question i haven't thought too much about that either but i think um it's worth thinking about uh, because it's we're at this moment right where everything's being reassessed uh, every level of society you know all of a sudden the traditional office place is under assault you know here in california facebook and twitter the corporations have, have told people they can work from home permanently you know the idea of, of getting up early and um fighting traffic for an hour and um 
you know, having to wear pants with buttons and zippers and like everything's, everything's changing in, in a lot of ways. Um, so uh, it, it would be a good time for the tour to rethink things, but I feel like they're probably at kind of maximum capacity right now. Right. Um, but may, maybe uh, after we get through these, this first burst of tournaments and we can kind of pause and reflect, you know, who knows what it'll yeah. come up. So I know we're almost out of time. I got two quick ones for you about the majors. The first one is with a truncated major season, assuming that they happen, does that, who do you think that that rewards? Do you think that it could be a maybe too much weight for the hot player, right? That could alter history in the way that someone that otherwise wouldn't win two majors in a row or three majors out of four could potentially do it because they're hot over a six week period. Any thoughts of how that might affect the outcome um, with the truncated major season? Yeah. I mean, someone, um, my weekly kind of mailbag that I do with, with on golf.com, someone asked me, should there be an asterisk for the, the players who win majors? Mm -hmm. And I said, absolutely not. I mean, in some ways right. this is the most challenging golf season ever. And if someone can find a way for their game to peak for the Masters in November, more power to them. I mean, yeah, um, I know what you're saying for sure. Uh, you can get hot, but they used to play, you know, three majors in the span of you know what was it, seven weeks when uh, in the summertime. I mean, it's always right. the majors have always benefited, you know, especially like Tiger in in 2000, right? As soon as he won the U.S. Open, you knew he was going to win the British Open. It was only a few weeks away, right? Uh, like, so yeah. They, now, if someone runs the table, wins all three, it's going to raise a few eyebrows. You know, hey, they deserve it. It's, um, it's just such an unparalleled moment in the sports history. And, yeah. you know, individual, like, you look at Roy McIlroy, he's been so jinxed at, at Augusta. And I think part of it is the eight-month buildup, you know, from yeah, his last major until, until the Masters. And all that time thinking about it and stewing about it and all the questions. And, you know, so a guy like Rory, this helps him. This switches off the energy completely. Instead of coming in at the beginning, he comes in late. He's got plenty of time to, to find his game. He's, uh, it feels different. It looks different. I mean, that's going to help him. So, and if he wins the masters, he's, he's won the effing masters. There's no asterisks. I mean, uh, totally. So, uh, to your question. Yeah. It's going to be different and it's going to help some players and hurt others, but, uh, they, they're all just going to have to find a way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, last question. You mentioned the Masters. This is a selfish question, Alan. I have tickets to the Masters for the first time this year, Wednesday practice rounds, okay? Cool. Taking my brother, my best, one of my best friends, and, and my dad, none of which has ever, have ever gone, including myself. So what are the odds in your mind that fans are allowed? It's an interesting question, right? Because Georgia has been one of the most liberal states in regards to opening up, right? And saying, we're getting back to work. Um, and obviously, you know, the people running Augusta National, you know, are old white men. So it's interesting to think about, you know, them kind of doing what they want, right? And, and, going along with what the state's been doing. But at the same time, they also have kind of a responsibility as one of the premier sporting events to set an example. So I'm curious what the Masters is going to do in, in your mind and the probability of there being fans allowed. Well, they want fans. You know, the, 
the guys, the Green Jackets are obsessed with building on on every tournament that's come before them, and it's the fans that make the Masters so exciting. The way the Roars go through the pines is such a cliche, but it just symphonically is so different than any other tournament. And um, those massive, massive bleachers down in Amen Corner, and of course, the way the 18th green is ringed by 25,000 people on Sunday, it's just iconic. So there's no doubt that they want it. They don't need it from uh, an economic standpoint, like some other right. tournaments, you know, there's a lot of financial pressure on the Ryder cup to happen and, and um, to generate the revenue it always has, because that's what keeps European tour in business. So they're, they're going to push for fans more aggressively than, you know, mm -hmm. Augusta has a luxury of, they don't need the money for one. Right. Year. So, um, but there's so, there's so much between now and then it's impossible to predict. And then right. get into the, the forecast of, you know, the second spike as you get into what's the traditional flu season. And, and, you know, by November that's already starting. So, um, I think the Masters has the, the, the benefit of coming late. Uh, a lot of golf will have been played and they can learn from the mistakes of other tournaments and they can fine tune their own protocols. And I'm sure they will lean on the PGA Tour. Um, I mean, this, that's an interesting thing about the majors, right? Is they're, no, they're not run by the tour. And so, right. what is the PGA of America and the USGA and Augusta National going to do? they don't have to follow the protocols laid out by the tour. They, they can set their own protocols and that could even be no testing and just say, listen, yeah. take a test before you leave home. And after that you're on your own. Um, or they could bring in the tour and, and you know, their, their people and, and pay them to, to help, you know, be the infrastructure. I mean, there's a lot of different things or, or if you're a Gus national, they could, they could build, they could build a better way to do it. You know, they, they may have, it's such, such a controlled environment. They already have so much infrastructure in place. They, they may they may find a more efficient way to do it. So, um, but I, I think I think there's a good chance you're going to be running around Augusta National and your your heart beating really fast on on you know Masters Wednesday this year because they they're just lucky to come at the tail end and they'll have so many ways to learn and, and refine based on the tournaments that come before them. And uh, so I you know. It's interesting because, like, you, you look at this telecast of the match, there was no fans out there, but there's always going to be electricity, especially at a big event, and just the meaning of it. The, the yeah. players supply yeah. the emotion. And, um, you know, there are 10,000 people out there cheering when, um, when, when Tiger Phil and Tom and Peyton, it would have been even more exciting. But we all got sucked into the drama anyway. So a Masters with no fans is still going to be riveting to watch. For but, sure. We, we want the fans, we, and Augusta wants the fans. So I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's selfish. I, you know, I obviously want to go, but at the same time, if it's up to the fans, that's a tough spot to be because you don't want to put family members at risk and, and have to fly across the country. For me, I'm in California, and so obviously as a fan, I want to go. Um, but from the medical side, it, it's up in the air. So thanks so much. I know we're – go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, we're, we're basically two and a half months into this great experiment, right? I mean, yep. it was middle of March when, when Corona really blew up here in the U S and so, you know, we have what we have five months till the masters, like how much more are we going to know and have learned and have better therapeutics and yep. who, who knows? I don't, we're not going to have a vaccine by then, but we might have everything else. And so it's always folly to predict the future, but now more than ever, it's just so fluid. I mean, totally. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, it was, 
um, the bottom line is the last two Sundays we've had some golf to watch. That's been a home run. And <laughs> yeah, that's been great. All in the mood for Colonial and what's going to follow. So it, it's kind of, I think for the first time in a while, it's, 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 you can start getting excited as a golf fan. For sure. Well, Alan, I know we went a bit over time. Thanks so much for being with us. Is there anywhere that you want to tell the fans and listeners to, to find you if they don't already follow you? whether it's golf.com or your Twitter handle or wherever else. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, you know, I've, I've, in fact, by now my story's probably up. I wrote about Tiger coming out of the match. You know, that'll, that'll be all over golf.com. Twitter's at Alan Shipnuck. You know, I'm always getting into trouble there. So, um, <laughs> they, yeah, they can, they can find me if they so desire. But uh, that's not why I did this podcast. I just, just wanted to support, you know, uh, the par train. So. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, Alan. Best of luck to you and hope you and your family uh, stay well. All right. Thanks for having me. Take care, man. All right.